and welcome to Legal Voices, Meritas' official podcast channel where we bring to you industry-related legal updates. In our latest series, Mario Torres, lawyer at Meritas member firm Brazo Seller and co-chair of Meritas' Latin America and Caribbean Cannabis Law Group, interviews lawyers from around the world to learn more about how each jurisdiction is handling cannabis and marijuana legalization. Before I hand it off to Mario, and for those of you who are new to Meritas, Meritas is an established global alliance of closely connected yet independent law firms that each offer a full range of high-quality specialized legal services. We were built upon a rigorous system for monitoring and enhancing the quality of our member firms and have been connecting clients with carefully qualified business legal expertise in over 250 markets around the world since 1990. Hi everyone. I'd like to welcome you to the fifth episode in the Meritas Cannabis World Tour. Today we're speaking with Nicolas Ferreira from our affiliate in Uruguay, Posadas Posadas y Vecino. Nicholas's practice focuses on corporate and commercial matters, and he also leads the firm's cannabis practice. Uruguay was the first country to nationally legalize recreational cannabis use, so we're very interested to hear that experience. Welcome, Nicholas. Like to welcome our listeners today to our episode of the podcast with Nicolas Ferreira from our uh, associate in Uruguay, Posadas, Posadas y Vecino, and our Latin American cannabis practice group co chair, Monica Bonnet from Pose Herrera Ruiz in Colombia. Welcome, Nicolas. Welcome, Monica. Hi, Mario. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, Mario. Good afternoon, Monica. Like the back Hi, of the Nicolas. Office. Yes, back in the office, uh, one one day at a time, but we're getting there. Yes. <laughs> and Nicholas, let's uh, let's jump right in. So we know uh, Uruguay was one of the first, if not the first, country to legalize adult use cannabis or recreational uses, as sometimes known. Your country made made the big jump. Uh, t- tell <laughs> us what things look like today. So got to be first, no? Yes, uh, for us, uh, it's it's a very interested subject. I, I took a, an idea from the Global Cannabis Report in 2019 that says that Uruguay was the first country in the world to legalize cannabis, but had a, a slow market development. And that idea is maybe it's, it's a, a, and that marks the current situation. And yes, as you were saying, Uruguay was the first country in the world to, to regulate the production of cannabis for adults, uh, recreational, medical, and industrial use. And we did it so through the law 19,172, Uruguayan Cannabis Act, approved in December 2013. The Cannabis Act also created the, the Institute for Regulation and Control of Cannabis, the IRCA, and we are going to mention it in another question shortly. But uh, that is the institute responsible for implementing the regulation and the control related to the to the plant. Our le- legislation approved similar decisions as other countries, but Uruguay was was the first to establish a regulatory framework for all the plant functionalities. We were the first country to approve a complete legal framework, and that was a, a big difference and make us a pioneer in the in the subject. And somehow in 2013. We also have another uh, regulatory important uh, fact that is the regulation approved in February 2015 
with a regulatory decree for 56-105 that regulate the medical use and the scientific research that was passed. It's a decree that ratifies the state and the IRCA will promote the, the research and the knowledge production of scientific evidence regarding psychoactive and non psychoactive uh, cannabis. And this is an important concept for the Uruguayan uh, regulation because uh, in our regulation, psychoactive cannabis means the flowering tops of cannabis whose content uh, of natural THC is equal or over uh, 1% in volume of the plant. So this is a relevant information to the license requirements of each case and, and it's an important concept for us. In our legislation, in our process of legalization, the, the IRCA is a, an institute designated with a special emphasis, we could say, in, in cooperation across a variety of other state entities with responsibilities relevant to cannabis regulation. For that reason, IRCA also, in the organization of IRCA, of that institute, we have also include representative of Minister of Public Health, Minister of Social Development and Livestock, Agriculture and, and Fishing. But I think that here is one of the, of the issues of the, of the regulation because the governmental interaction that was generated delays in the, the cannabis development. As some key players of the industry has pointed out in the past, and for sure this represents uh, one of the most important improvement opportunities that we had in the regulation and in order to make it more flexible in the future. But thinking in the main points of the, of the legalization process in Uruguay, it's important to refer to the adult recreational regulation that Uruguay cannabis law established that was maybe the most famous regulation it had more attention of, of from the exterior from the international uh, re regulators that our law established three different methods of access to cannabis in general we're talking about the home growth that adults can grow up to six female plants per household for the personal use. They have to be registered with authorities. Today, we can talk about that uh, 12,000 Uruguayans had registered as home growers. This is a, a very important number, I think, for a population like Uruguayan people. We also have the cannabis clubs that adults can join uh, cooperatives to grow. Uh, cannabis together, this cannabis club must first be registered with the IRCA and must have between 15 and 14 members. It's like a collective way of uh, access to, to cannabis for recreational use, for adult use. The, the clubs are limited to uh, 99 plants in the same space and they are controlled by, by the authorities. Actually, we have, as today, April numbers, 170 clubs across the country. This is a, a very important number, uh, also for the population of, of, of the country. And finally, yes, did the club refer to a, a physical location site or the group of people? And I guess my question relates to 
where do the cannabis clubs actually cultivate their cannabis? Do they rent a space is there, or do they, yes. as part of their application, they have a location that is submitted as the cultivation site? How do, how do these work? Because this is a, a new concept for me. Yes, they had a, a special place that uh, in the registration bef before the INCA, uh, in that process, you, uh, they have the, the same space. They have to be very precise of the condition of, of the space, the condition of the members. You have the personal institute from the members. So this is a quite regulated way of cannabis together, a group of, of users, users uh, in a special place. Uh, yes. Before the IRCA, with all the, the anonymous data for the public, but before the IRCA, you have all the all that information duly registered. I have another question about the clubs. Do they need a permit from the government, and do they have the duty to provide information about their activities of cultivation and consume before the authority? Yes, the cannabis clubs are quite regulated by, by the IRCA. The institute is responsible to control the, the primary inscription, but also all the activities uh, later on for the club. Uh, they have to control the numbers of plants that they have, the numbers of members. They cannot dispense more than 480 grams of the drug to each of their members per day. So this is quite regulated, <coughs> the production of the club. So this is quite regulated inside the IRCA as, as the institute that con must control the, the functionality of, of the cannabis club, yes. And sorry, Nicholas, we cut you off. You said that there was another uh, method no. for... Yes, the other, the other method of uh, access to the cannabis, uh, as, um, as we can say, the, the, the recreational use of, of cannabis, is the commercial purchase that maybe is the most famous on the cover story of the regulation of, of Uruguay that state that individuals can purchase up to 10 grams per week of cannabis at determinated sales point. And the law specifies that that sales point could be the pharmacies. Actually, that uh, today is the, is the way that individuals can purchase uh, the cannabis uh, is in the pharmacies. And also, growers can be licensed by the state to produce cannabis for commercial purchase. It's the state that contracts the, the, the growers that to provide uh, this commercial purchase objective. Actually, we have uh, five companies that have been licensed to, to produce commercial cannabis, and more than 45,000, I think, as today, more or less, Uruguayans registered as purchases, because you have companies that could produce the, the cannabis, determined a sales point that there are pharmacies duly registered with control of security and regulation to provide the, the cannabis. And you had the purchase duly registered uh, as an anonymous way, but registered and with the fingerprint, they, the access to the cannabis. This, I think there is the three methods <clears throat> that in the recreational uh, adult consumption of cannabis, that are uh, duly approved by, by the law. But uh, additional to the methods uh, of access of cannabis, it's important to talk about, I think, about the industrialization of cannabis and the medicin medicinal use of cannabis and other uses different from the adult recreational use. And we think that uh, the important main 
point here is that the cannabis regulation also establishes that the elaboration of vegetables and pharmaceutical specialties must be authorized. So this is in, in, in the way of the complete regulation of the law, we have also the contemplated the, the, the plant, the, the, the extract and the production in the all the, the production of the, of the cannabis. And we think that uh, while the government has made important advances in implemented non-medical cannabis access, like the distribution in pharmacies, uh, the, the medical cannabis was uh, a bit of struggle to, to overcome some obstacles, especially with the exportation of, of the medical cannabis. As an example, um, we, we talk uh, that in 2015, we had a decree that creates the frameworks for medical cannabis on paper. But in the reality for the Uruguayans had been quite difficult to access formally to products of medical cannabis. It was not until December 2017 that a medical cannabis product became able for purchase formally in, in pharmacies. So the, the advance in, in that way was uh, quite slow uh, as, as we expected. <coughs> Actually, uh, also the, the registering of a new medicine take a, a series of requirements that guarantee safety with maximum levels of evidence that with important delays in the process. And th this, this decree also imposes a prior authorization of the Minister of Public Health at the time of export medical cannabis. So these issues, uh, these were the the principal complements that the industry has voiced in the past. And I think that the, the obstacles to export of the product was one of the problems in our legislation. So I think that maybe uh, to close a, an idea of the evolution of the, the, the legislation, we can say that Uruguay had the temporary advantage of being the first to regulate the, the cannabis but it was also victim of that timing uh, because at the early stages of, of the law no one was thinking about the industry at an international level or no one thought of creating a legal framework for an export industry and the, the focus was public safety and health actually and this was relevant uh, point for the industry that needs an improvement and was for the industry was some obstacles in, in the process the relevant delay secure and i think that this make a necessary reconcile the registration and efficiency requirements of the country of destination without our country regulation i think that this took a while to understand the problem as every legal framework you had time to think in, in the problems, to, to adjust the system. And in order to resolve this matter, uh, in 2020, there were issued two decrees, the, the 215 and 214 decrees that uh, deal with the support of medical cannabis and industrial hemp in a more flexible way. These decrees uh, refer to a specific harvest, but give a reference of how it could be regulated in general for uh, in the future. But I think that uh, although these, these issues for the industry, for the exportation principally, 
the activity of, of, of companies linked to cannabis uh, is increasing and, and actually multiplying the associated services in the country. It is estimated that more than 100 companies in the sector, some of these companies with more than five years uh, developing genetics, cultivation methods, extraction know-how, all this is a value for the, for the industry in, in the country. In order to get a, an idea, as of April 2021, there were 44 non-psychoactive cannabis cultivation, uh, duly authorized in Uruguay, 11 licenses for psychoactive cannabis, six for cannabis uh, for medical use and five for recreational use, 20 licenses for industrialization and 22 for research in, and development. The authorization process requires several controls, and this is a specific study of each project, but I think that th these numbers are important for a country like, like Uruguay and in order to continue growing as, a, as an industry. Well, I think that is... It sounds from what you're saying, Nicholas, that you have several established cannabis clubs, several established companies and registered purchasers as individuals. So it seems like the, it's an industry that, while continuing to grow, is, is, is already, if, if I'm not mistaken. In, in function, yes. Yeah. Well, that's, yes. That's quite interesting. And, and, and Nicholas, which will move me to my second question, you mentioned a little bit, you said initially that the legislation or the legalization or regulation of cannabis in, in Uruguay came as a sort of safety and security that was the, what propelled it to the to, to the forefront. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on on where the legalization came from? And if that was the focus, if if that was the sole focus? Yes, actually, uh, as, as a pioneer <clears throat> in the world, in, in, in the matter, uh, it's uh, interesting uh, asking ourselves why we go for this regulation. I think the, how we arrive at this pioneer regulation, there are different theories of that. Um, but we must start acknowledging that political uh, will and the social mobilization both contributed uh, to the success of the cannabis regulation in Uruguay. <coughs> because in one hand, the political environment played a, a central role uh, putting comprehensive cannabis reform on the agenda. On the other hand, activists keep the issue on the political agenda and influence the content of the cannabis reform and regulation as, as now. I think that for that reason, both political will and social mobilization were necessary for the start, were necessary for the continuation and the success, conclusion uh, of cannabis reform in, in our country. I think, as we're talking first, originally the government announced a plan for regulate a control legalization. Initially to combat crime and argue that the model of fight against drug trafficking force in the world has failed. This was some political interpretation, <coughs> uh, argue, I think, in first place for the president in that moment, uh, Jose Mujica. Uh, I think that in that point of, uh, of goals for the, for the reform, the law, I think that we can comment that uh, the, the goal of the law was to reduce, uh, reduce the drug trafficking related violence 
by taking cannabis off the, the black market in the way that the consumption of, of adults were in, in a regulated market, you know, in black market, promote public health uh, through education, through prevention campaigns. And actually, I think uh, the elimination of an existing legal paradox that allowed the possession, but effectively blocked user from accessing cannabis. In order to go for a, a coherent regulation, I think this was one of the goals of the, of, of the law in, in Uruguay. But I think that uh, along with the regulation of cannabis, Uruguay also became the first South American country to authorize the, the cultivation of hemp for industrial use. And this was, uh, this was a, a, an idea of the industrialization of, of the cannabis. I think in conclusion, we can mention that the focus was on public, um, on public safety and health and not initially in the industry and another potential interest with cannabis. That focus, I think, uh, were, um, appears in the following stages of, of the regulation. I think uh, this is a, 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 a possible conclusion of the norm. Oh, that's a, an, an interesting evolution, which leads to, to, to our last question. And you've mentioned a little bit along the way. So you have legalization in 2013, some additional <clears throat> I think you mentioned 2015 and 17 and 2020. So what do you expect or what recent changes are, or what upcoming changes do you see in the short-term future and potentially in the long-term future um, in relation to the industry in, in Uruguay? Okay, I think that uh, it's very difficult to anticipate changes in a market as dynamic of the, <clears throat> at the cannabis industry. But I think, as you said, the evolution that the time travel with our legal framework, almost a decade of our regulatory evolution, entails relevant changes in the system. And I think in a short term. The government and the industry know that and I think like any administrative model, there is a room for improvement and future changes are anticipated. I think one important development for the future will be, I think for sure, the development of products derived from <coughs> cannabis, uh, edibles, beverage, medicine, and also in genetics. Uh, I think uh, the experience of the industry in our country during the past years will be crucial in this matter. I think, and um, within those expected modifications, uh, last month the Uruguayan government announced the, the intention to legalize edibles, non-psychoactive cannabis, uh, CBD uh, products, and we are thinking about changes to the current regulation that would allow in, uh, take the CBD as an ingredient, uh, taking a huge regulatory step forward so to accelerate the development of the production and the commercialization of edibles and, and beverage. This not only will put Uruguay forward as the first country in Latin America to be considered the legalization of edibles cannabis products, and also will uh, stimulate the country's cannabis industry. Uh, and, and Yes. Is it that they are, the, the regulation contemplates um, the authorization of finished products with cannabis, uh, cannabis uh, derivatives 
within it, but is it also to export those products or that's just for domestic uh, sale? Yes, I, I, we're talking about that the current regulation that would allow the, the changes of the current regulation will allow the production of edibles both for domestic and the international sales. And this would be something very important for the for the industry. The, the idea is to include in the national bromatologic regulation the use of TBD without psychoactive uh, substances in order that the, the, the cannabis could be an in ingredient to a final product. Uh, so this would be something very, very important for the, for the industry and in order to export. I think another, in order to, to be more precise, I think another change that the authorities has been talking about is contemplate the idea of include participation of the <coughs> local institutes of health insurance facilitating access to cannabis medicine to the patients who require it and also to collaborate with their health professionals. I think this will improve the local medical cannabis industry and do better to the to the public in general to access medicine, medicinal cannabis. And finally, I think that we can talk about something that locally and internationally is a big issue for the industry, that is the access to banking. The, the Uruguayan government understand the need for cannabis-related businesses to have access to banking. And actually, as today, forces outside Uruguay, principally compliance situation of the financial institutions in, in the U.S., have prevented such access and the government is working on a solution to the problem. Uh, maybe this could be an international solution, it would be the easiest way, or maybe take some of the Canadian experience as a reference with a particular protocols between banks that allow center operation for cannabis. <coughs> I don't know, this is an issue that requires an, an immediate solution and we know that uh, the, the government are, are working on that. And finally, we can talk about something like uh, a, a necessary update of the regulation and the government in that way is working, that I think we could expect shortly changes in the regulatory framework, especially something that we say in early on, uh, the modification of the legal framework to facilitate and simplify the exploitation that's something similar to the 2020 decrease, but in, in, in general as a, a change of the regulatory framework. Changes to, the, to specify definitions to eliminate ambiguities in the actual regulation, improvements to the regulation, actually. And finally, to establish clearly the scope of each organism that participates in the, in the context of cannabis. To, to improve the system and the timing uh, from the registration, from the exploitation, and all the, the situation that is, is going on with the, with the industry in sharing. I think this is the, the changes that have been announced, changes that will be of an enormous importance reposition in our country once again in the cannabis industry, I think. Well, thank you very much, Nicholas. It's really important to see the road that, that Uruguay has traveled since it legalized cannabis. And, and we can really see many things that we've seen in other 
jurisdictions and some that are unique. So greater patient access is, is something that's important. Also uh, creating a bit of an export market. And at the same time, struggles that everybody is dealing with in the industry with uh, banking um, yes. and access to capital, access to uh, credit as well, which go hand in hand. So these are really important things. And I, and I think it's really great of you to, to share your time and share your expertise with us. Uh, and our listeners. So I'd like to thank you again. And, and thanks, Monica, as always, for uh, joining us. And um, Nicholas, we really hope to, to chat with you soon, uh, maybe by end of year, and you can let us know how things are going. Thanks, Mario. Thanks, Monica. This was a pleasure. I, I know this was a high level of concept, of view of concept, but it's a fascinating topic, quite di dynamic topic. And for sure, we have more to talk about uh, in the future. Thank you very much, Nicholas. Thank you very much, Mario. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nicholas. Nicholas Ferreira is from the firm Posadas Posadas y Vecino, our affiliate in Uruguay. Information about the firm can be found at ppb.com.uy. I'm Mario Torres from Brazo Seller Law in Ottawa, Canada. Thank you for listening. On behalf of Meritas, thank you for listening. Find this week's show notes and a variety of other free resources on the News and Insights section of the Meritas website, www.meritas.org. Be sure to join us next week to learn more about cannabis regulations around the globe. Thank you again for listening and have a wonderful day.